From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. Spring isn't quite in full bloom, but on the Gator calendar, it certainly feels that way, with the start of softball and lacrosse this week and baseball patiently waiting on deck. On today's show, we'll cover a wide range of topics with FloridaGators.com's senior writer Scott Carter, including football embarking on its off-season program, next-level technology being utilized by the creative team, gymnastics hosting Link to Pink, baseball loosening up in the bullpen, and all things Super Bowl 57 in the PAT. Then, softball coach Tim Walton joins us to discuss the program's critical return to the Women's College World Series, the continued growth of the sport, and expectations for this year's squad. But first, it's time for the Gator Roundtable, presented by Pet Paradise. Pet Paradise is your complete pet health care destination, with resort-style day camp, overnight boarding, professional grooming, and compassionate veterinary care from New Day, all located under one roof to serve pet fanatics like you. Book today at PetParadise.com, the official pet care provider of the Florida Gators. It is a quiet roundtable this week. There's only two people on it. I'm one of them. The other one is FloridaGators.com senior writer Scott Carter. Uh, Because of uh, basketball's late Wednesday night road game, we will not have a chance to get current on what's going on with hoops, but we are going to talk about everything else today and uh, and cover a wide range of Gator subjects. Scott, let, let's start with uh, with football. This is the first time in, I want to say, maybe a, a month or two that we've had a week go by without a new player to announce. Uh, however, this week did start the first phase of the offseason program for Billy Napier. Tell us a little bit about foundation what that means, and, and some of the guys you had a chance to talk to about entering this first phase. Yeah, you know, Billy Napier introduced these different eight phases last year when he got here. The first one is foundation, and I think that's self-explanatory. But let's face it, Adam, if you don't have a good foundation, you're not going to have a good team. And I think when you have a, so many new players, you know, 31 new players uh, total, I think of those 31, 27 are already here. And uh, they're out there working out. They're doing off-season conditioning drills. They're doing all those things that are important but for teams. It's, it's, it's getting to know each other. It's bonding. And it's just being able to uh, start feeling you, uh, you can rely on the guy, you know, whether he's in your position group or the guy behind you in the lineup. I mean, that's how, that's how teams are formed. So that's where they are right now. It, it, I can tell you just from being over in the building a couple of days this week, I mean, there's so many new faces. It's hard to, like, know everybody. You're like, hey, who's that guy again? And, you know, I went over there. I did talk to Trevor Etienne, who I, who I knew for a story. Uh, but really my first in-depth conversation with him. And we chatted just about his breakout freshman year and some of his uh, backstory and what he's looking to do from there. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that Trevor's a, a high-motivation kind of guy. I thought that one of the most interesting things he said, he said, you know what? I had a good season for a freshman, a freshman season, but I'm not happy. You know, I I got a lot more uh, things in mind than just having a good freshman season. So I'm sure Gator fans will like that. And then I got to meet Graham Burks, the uh, 
the incoming quarterback from Wisconsin. And, and right away, I think you're going to like Mert's personality. You can tell this guy's been around the block. He's just mature. He He's comfortable in his own skin. He's really excited about the opportunity at Florida. He's a true competitor, and, and I'll write more about him and, and really get into his story. But the, probably the most telling thing, he really just wanted to be coached hard. And he thought he was going to go to a school after Wisconsin that he wanted to be pushed to his limit. And after talking to Napier and the assistants and and just really what they do with quarterbacks, he felt Florida was the place. And obviously he's a veteran and he's already taken on a leadership role because, as we just mentioned, Adam, you got 31 new guys, all new to the program. You've got a lot of younger players returning. I was joking with the ETN. I said, you know, I know you've only been here about eight months, but you're a veteran of the team already. <laughs> all the departures. He says, yeah, but remember this. I wasn't, I've never been to, through a spring practice yet. I said, well, what were you doing? This, what were you doing last year at this time? He says, I was playing right field and going to high school. So he was a baseball player. So it just shows you just this whole transition that the program's in. And uh, anyway, we'll, I'll have more of those on FloridaGators.com in the coming days. But that's what it is over there right now. The Heavenly Train, uh, Football Training Center is a, a big meet-and-greet station right now. I want to talk about something else uh, in that training center that you posted a story on this week, which is this incredible digital studio that the program has that's not just for football. It's being used by by every sport. Um for those, this is obviously, the podcast is an audio format. This is better seen visually. So if you go to FloridaGators.com and you read the story, you'll see a video in there that shows all the different uses for it. But what I think is so cool about it is it's another way that you know the program is tapping into technology to help creativity, whether it comes to you know a recruiting visit, content for video boards, etc. I mean, let's face it, kids uh, care about cool stuff. And given that Florida can now use technology that's being used to shoot TV shows like The Mandalorian and House of the Dragon, it's a pretty cool thing to show off. Yeah, it really is. And I got to go over and see it the other day. And I've seen some of the uh, content they've created, you know, on social media. And I noticed that, oh, that's cool. That's a little different. I don't think I've seen us do that before. And so, you know, I was told what it exactly is. And believe me, what people have seen so far at least from you know the Gators and the, the new studio they have, it's really just like baby steps compared to what they want to do and what the technology can do. So, but just to give you the, the story, the people out there who are interested, and you know, certainly the players are. This is called VU Technology, and it's a it just imagine a high power computer, and in the same studio, there's in this case, it's a big like almost connected screen that wraps around the, the whole room. I think it's about 13 feet tall, about 25 feet apart at the ends, and then it just curves around. I mean, I was joking, it'd be great, man, just to have my recliner there and be able to watch uh, one of my favorite movies. But what <laughs> they can do, you know, once you load programs and build scenes into the, the computer, you know, you could, they've already built a true swamp with real gators and, you can have players, you know, stand in front of that and kind of walk from like gator to gator for a promo they could show in the stadium on game day. There's technology there that, you know, you can host a coach's show, you know, whether it's the, you know, Billy Napier's up there and he's talking about a play that won a game. Well, he could draw it on a, a pad on his, 
in front of him, and what he's drawn shows up on the wall behind him for the viewers to see. So it's just really cool technology, and uh, what this is for as much as anything, it's for the creative teams here so they can connect in the way that what's important to, you know, incoming student athletes. I mean, they get on campus, they come for their official visits. Obviously, they want to tour the facilities and see the stadium. They want to go to the Hawkins Center. They want to, you know, get a tour of campus. But they also want to share this experience on social media. And and they do it now going over there and taking these Gator-themed photos. And then they those guys and the, the players are – for, you know, all sports use it's not just football, but it's located over in the, the new facility. Uh, they uh, they can share it and you know just connect, and it's you know it's great. It's obviously a recruiting tool. There's no doubt about that. Uh, and it's used by it, the technology is from VU Studio, and it's a it's they're already a big player in this this arena. Uh, they have studios in Las Vegas, Nashville, Tampa, and Orlando, and they've done stuff for movies and commercials and music videos but some of the gator boosters who are connected to this they're like hey why don't we donate money and buy this for uf and and get it out there and you guys are able to utilize it so uh, i think it's kind of a win-win situation right now for the gators yeah it's really cool and if it still isn't making sense conceptually to people who haven't seen it uh, it's essentially green screen. Most people know green screen technology. It's used for TV and movies where you shoot something on a green backdrop and then they go back afterward and you can digitally put the background in. This basically does that on the front end. There's no green yeah. screen. The actual final image you would see on screen is physically there and you can interact with it in real time. So yeah. that's why it's such a game changer uh, in the world of, of TV and film production and now obviously being used as well to uh, to supplement creative content at universities like Florida, and I bet you who really likes it are weather men and women. Around. Oh, it's great! Yeah, they can, they can see it. They don't have to just gesture blindly at things. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. You have to worry about uh, you have to worry about the green screen. It's actually a funny story about that. When I was uh, when I was in school, when I was a freshman, I think at at WUFT, uh, I was learning how to do everything, and they were doing the weather. And the girl that was supposed to do the weather that day was wearing a a green shirt. So oh. when she was doing the forecast, the weather was actively moving across her body. So she, had, <laughs> you saw her head and then you saw all of the weather uh, all over her stomach, which is, yeah, it was the last time that happened, by the way. It didn't happen again after that. But uh, this would not be an issue with the VU technology. Uh, you, will, you will not have parts of the background intruding on your body. Uh, that's yeah. a, a huge benefit to Definitely it. Definitely high. High-tech advancement. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you mentioned, Scott, one of the programs that's been able to utilize it is gymnastics. Quick note on them, this week is linked to pink. Uh, it shouldn't be a particularly competitive meet. All signs for them and all roads lead to the huge road meet against number one Oklahoma coming up soon. But linked to pink is always really important to them. It's big for the fans. Uh, talk about that meet this week and, and kind of where the team is at. Well, the team is at a great place, Adam. I mean, they're, they've you know, they're undefeated. They have this longest unbeaten streak in the regular season in the SEC history. And uh, a lot of their top performers, Leanna Wong, Randy Thomas, uh, Rachel Ballman, uh, you, the list goes on. I mean, they're, they're hitting on all cylinders at midseason. They still have a lot of goals and they're still 
testing some of the pieces in different places. So uh, the team's riding good, but you're right. The, the link to Pink Meat is is one of those special events each year here on campus, and I've been to it several times. And you know, you you have a moment where they invite uh, breast cancer survivors out on the the gymnasium floor before the meet, and uh, you know, you can see just from some tears in the the crowd, you know, and on the floor with these women that you know this is a special moment for them. It's a special moment for their families, and it's a great cause that the Gators do, and it's always one of their most popular meets of the year. And uh, Anyway, that's this week, and um, Missouri's in town. Like you said earlier, it should be one the Gators take care of, and then they go into the second part of the season really uh, seeing if they can fine-tune things to be where they want to be going into the postseason. So continued success surely on the way for gymnastics. And as you mentioned, Scott, moving into the second half of their season, that means the start of other seasons as we roll this thing out in the spring. Uh, Softball starts this week. We'll have a lot about that in just a few minutes with Tim Walton, so stay tuned for that. Uh, But baseball is right on deck, if you will. Next week, they'll get going. And I know you've had a chance to to spend some time over the complex in the last few days as they get things ready to go. Uh, Where are the Gators less than two weeks out from the start of their season? They're ready to go, I can tell you that. I mean, uh, it's a team that, you know, they they grew up a lot last year, uh, surprised a lot of people. uh, But they go into this season, I think, with some uh, higher expectations. Just from talking to Kevin O'Sullivan, Going into his 16th season, which wow, is, man, that, that's it's hard to believe. And you know, as every year, Adam, they're going to talk about getting to Omaha. That's the goal here, and they haven't been now since 2018. So you know, it's going on four plus years. Yeah, they you know they won it in 17, and they went back in 18. And the last, of course, they had a COVID year in there where it wasn't even possible. Obviously, season got canceled, but then in 21 and 22, they've had you know, early uh, exits at home. And uh, the, I don't think it was too much of, of a surprise two years ago. But I think last year they certainly had intentions of hanging around longer than they did. They just didn't play well uh, when they needed to. Um, but they're growing into this year. And if you follow Florida baseball, you know the storyline is often this is a team built on pitching and defense with some big bats. But, it, you know, it's going to start on the mound. It's going to start in the rotation. Brandon Sprout. He's back, uh, a huge difference maker last season when the Gators did get hot and uh, started making a run toward the NCAA tournament. He really just uh, found a way to handle – he's always had a great arm. He found a way to start handling failure, and that's one of the hardest things for a baseball player, really any athlete. And O'Sullivan said that's really where he's seen the most growth in Brandon's throat. So he's looking at the top starter spot, you've got – Kirsten Waldrop, uh, another uh, big arm, uh, mid-90s guy, consistently a transfer from Southern Mills, Miss. Uh, Jack Caglione, the big left-hander who is also – get this, man. He, he can – the the exit velocity of Jack Caglione's hits are often over 100 miles per hour. He can also nearly hit 100 on the radar gun. And wow. like Kevin O'Sullivan said, you don't get many players on your team in your career who can do that. So – he is probably the guy that I'm really most because most looking forward to seeing the advancement because we saw a little taste of him at the end of last year offensively. Haven't seen him pitching, uh, but he he could be huge if he if he plays up to potential. I mean, he could be a huge difference maker. You got White Langford back. 
you got Josh Revere back at shortstop. Um, Brian Slater on the back end of the bullpen. So they have a lot of good pieces back, uh, Adam. But like every season, it's fresh. You just don't know until you get a, a, a sample size worth really evaluating. But I do think this is a it's going to be a good team. I think they're going to challenge for that that return trip to Omaha. And um, again, it's going to start with the starting pitching. Moving on to our PAT this week. In case you didn't know, is the Super Bowl. Uh, the last vestige of great Americana that we seem to have at this point. One of the the last remaining monoculture events that everybody participates in all at the same time. No one's watching it on DVR a few days later. Uh, I'm curious, Scott, what are you excited for? What are you excited for every year? And what are you excited for specifically with this Super Bowl? Well, you know, I'm going to start with your introduction there because, you know, I got, you, when you were saying that, you, you're right. I mean, I can remember when I was younger. Before everything became so fragmented, there were certain events that I knew I was going to watch every year. I was a big MTV Video Awards guy. The VMAs. The VMAs. I like to watch the Grammys and Oscars. I can't tell you the last time I've watched any of those. It's at least been 12 or 15 years. You missed a very entertaining Grammys just a few days ago. So if, if only we had you this know, conversation last week, it could have changed the whole thing for you. You know, the music, I mean, I still like, I still love music, but... You know, some of the new music that people think is good, I mean, it's obviously bad. <laughs> Music's one of those things that, you know, unfortunately, its best days are behind it. But there's still great music behind it, so that's where I, I live. My, I got a call from my mom during the Grammys, and she yeah. said, Adam, where is all of the music they play on the pop rock Sirius XM channel? <laughs> and I said, well... A lot of those people aren't making music anymore, and that's why they're not on the Grammys. So, <laughs> I mean, you know, it's they need to, the one the one time I did watch the Grammys in recent years when ACDC opened the show. That was pretty good. Hmm. Uh, that was about five six years ago. So I lied a little bit, but I have not. I didn't watch any this week. But going back to your original premise, the Super Bowl. Yes, the Super Bowl is still one of those events that I watched when I was sixteen. And I watch today now that I'm 36. You know, so. <laughs> 36. I, I'm not sure, but we have to may have to verify that age somewhere. <laughs> so you know, I, I, it's still big uh, for me. Uh, it's one of those things I I plan. It, it's become a little family tradition at the Carter House. My kids are old enough to get into it now. And Super Bowl Sunday is their probably our only big nacho day of the year. We just we have big dishes of nachos and we just watch the game and i mean it is it's the biggest television event in the world so you know it's it's only 57 years old but it just seems to get you know at least grow in stature uh while other things have kind of like i said earlier been fragmented or have lost some of its their cultural relevance i think the super bowl remains stronger than ever um and this year's game, I mean, it's interesting. You've got, you know, two. Uh, the big storyline is what the first time for two African American quarterbacks, mm-hmm. which you know that storyline's been around for the game since Doug Williams back in the late '80s became the first uh, African American quarterback to win the Super Bowl. But now you've got two of them, Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. And I, I mean, uh, Mahomes, he's a, one of the stars of the league. I, I'm always more into the new storyline. I think Jalen Hurts is a great storyline. Yeah. Because following his story closely at Alabama, talking about a guy who was 
benched in the second half of a national championship game. This is a guy who's who's had adversity at you know very public adversity on the biggest stages, and yeah. has battled through it with class, with integrity, and look where he is now. Yeah, I mean it's one of those stories you can guarantee you, win or lose on Sunday, Nick Saban is using the Jalen Hurts story over and over to guys you know who he's recruiting, or even guys on the team who maybe don't really know their place. And he's like, look, you know, I mean, stick it out. Look at Jalen Hurts. And now Jalen Hurts, I mean, even going into the NFL, I think he was the 62nd player picked or something like that. It's not like he was a top five or ten pick, a dual threat guy. And and then, like we talked about with Mahomes, I mean, he's one of the most exciting players in the league. The Chiefs are one of the most exciting teams. Uh, you know, they've got some Gators on their team with the – you know, Tommy Towns is one of their stars as a punter. Kadarius Tony, a trade over there. Uh, talking about a nice trade, getting traded from the Giants to the Chiefs. And then with the uh, the Eagles, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson, another guy who got traded from New Orleans to the Eagles. So a couple of guys really landed well. So uh, there's some Gators uh, storylines. Uh, you got the quarterback storyline. And the big storyline of all, it's the biggest sporting event in the world. It's the Super Bowl. When you didn't even mention, you know, what I'm most excited about, the halftime show, which is, by the way, the most watched part of the Super Bowl every year. I think the record actually still is, Katy Perry might still have the record for the most watched portion of any telecast ever from, it was like six or seven years ago at this point. Um, but it's always big. Rihanna will be doing it. Do you know any Rihanna songs, Scott, off the top of your head? You know, I looked her up a couple weeks ago when I saw she was doing it. I mean, I've, I know I've heard them, but I listened to a few on iTunes one day, and I'm like, okay, that doesn't grab me. That doesn't grab me. And I, I moved on. But now she's, I'm <laughs> sure she's great. I'm sure she's great. I just, I just don't follow her. I was into Lady Gaga. I love Lady Gaga. I certainly know some Beyonce songs. Yeah. Uh, but R- uh, Rihanna, to me, she's not in the category of Beyonce or Lady Gaga. She's like that next level down. But now a lot of people would certainly say Scott's an idiot. And I, I, I respect that. I do think that's actually, I, w- I would agree with that. She's in a tier just below. Um, wow, but I, we actually agree on We do, wow. we do. I wow. can tell you, though, knowing uh, her full catalog, you will not hear anything resembling ACDC uh, during this halftime show. So just want to make sure you're prepared for that. Well, yes, I am. And that's why when I'll, when it comes on, I'll probably just start eating more nachos. <laughs> and just while, before we finish our podcast here, and we probably, who do you think is going to win the game? I don't know. I actually saw ESPN did, uh, they pulled all their, their experts, and I think they came out at 45 for the Eagles, 26 for the Chiefs. Uh, I would probably say Eagles as well. I think they've been playing better. I think they're more explosive. And Kansas City has just kind of skated by their last couple games. And when you have a high ankle sprain like Mahomes is dealing with, I'm sure he'll be fine initially, but then if you look at the end of the last game, the AFC Championship starts to become a bigger factor. Those things oh. can linger for a long time. And if this is a, a if this becomes a total shootout, it seems like the Eagles have more weapons. Well, we're going to disagree here because I think Mahomes is going to be a lot better physically, and I love just his big playmaking ability. I kind of I kind of think the Chiefs are going to win, but we'll see. Well, the good news is one of us will be right and one of us will be wrong. That is right. But like that you, is right. I. I don't really care who wins. I just, like you said, I want an entertaining game, and that's what I think might happen. But I'm not, uh, I'm not out here rooting like crazy against Brady or anything like that, like I have in the past. So hopefully, Tom Brady will not announce he's coming back during the game. 
No, hopefully not. Um, by that point, you'll probably be eating your nachos, as you noted. You'll be focused <laughs> on that entirely. Um, but uh, we thank you, as always, for, for keeping us updated on everything happening in Gator Nation, Scott. And we will talk to you next week. All right. Thanks, Adam. Softball has been one of the most reliable winners on campus in recent history, with this season marking 15 years since the program's first World Series appearance that put it on the map in 2008. The man responsible for that rise is Tim Walton, and as he begins his 18th season at the helm, we asked him what, if anything, is keeping him up at night. Well, I'll say this, um, Adam, that nothing keeps me up at night. Uh, That's one thing I've really... I don't know how, I don't know how or why, but I can compartmentalize so many things that, you know, I've, I've worked really hard to, to, to focus on helping my athletes get better on and off the field. And so, you know, nothing is more exciting for me than walking down uh, the steps or going down the elevator to go downstairs on the field level and going to practice. I love practicing. So I would say that um, I've got a list of things that I can turn the page really quickly and try to master the next thing tomorrow. So uh, in my brain every single day. And 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 actually now as I get older, uh, I have it on my desk every single day. I try to keep <laughs> my, bra- my brain and my memory working together. But we're working on just trying to accomplish as many things as possible to be in sync where you ball in the gap with a runner on first, everybody knows where they're going. Got a ball up the middle with nobody on base, everybody knows where they're going. So we're just trying to put together um, a clean, clear uh, set of communication. We're working on um, a, a lot of defensive components in January because now you're getting ready to be prepared for everybody's best shot. And um, and when they, you talk about everybody's best shot, steal coverages, bunt coverages, uh, challenge you to try to score for coming around th- you know, third coverages and throws and relays and backups and you name it. So we're working on a ton of defensive components and communication. And then from the offensive standpoint, uh, you know, come up with a plan, come up with a routine, reset your routine. Do you have a release? You know, being able to handle adversity, handle, um, you know, things in your brain that didn't quite go right. And and how do you handle failure? You know, and your, your, your version of failure, because your version of failure is maybe different than somebody else's version. So just working really hard. Um, I'd say that right now is a get our players in shape as sore as they can be and um, as soon as possible, but safe as possible too. That's what we really, really work hard on this time of year is just really just getting to where we can continue to get better every single week um, as we make our run, you know, towards uh, towards a late run in May, early June. Speaking of those late runs in, in May and early June, you got back to the College World Series last year, which was a really big deal. It hadn't been there since 2019. COVID is part of that. Um, but what did it mean for the program, not only to get back to Oklahoma City, but to do it the way that you did, winning your first Super Regional on the road and in comeback fashion? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. <laughs> You know, I, I really I think my players trust me. I think they have a, a I don't I don't think that they always like me. Um, <laughs> I think they respect me. Um, you know, they don't like me when I because I'm fair, I'm super competitive and I really mm. want to be I want to I want to look good. I want to play good. I want to talk good. I want to be able to just get out there and be super clean and sharp. And, you know, I'm going to strike out 10 batters a game and hit two homers a game and steal four bases and make no errors. And so pleasing me is really, really, really difficult. But I think at the end of the day, I'm not really worried. I just want to I just want to go out there and play our best 
And, um, you know, I told our team last year, realistically, I didn't think we had what it took to win the SEC. And I wasn't telling them that to to think that they weren't good enough, but we were going to have to really get better in so many different phases with the youth of our starting lineup. And, and I felt like we did, like we just kept getting better and better. And we had some tight, tough, tight games, uh, home and road with FSU. Um, you know, we go to, uh, I want to say we, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm so focused on what we're doing right now, but it's hard to even go backwards, but, but to be able to go uh, into Blacksburg, Virginia and play, the first inning of the game that we played, it was it was a terrible first inning offensively and defensively. And, uh, you know, we gave up a home run and and, a, and just we were down, I think, five nothing after the first. It was bad. And the way they responded to me was just an awesome um, experience because we worked really hard in the weight room. We talked about adversity. We talked about being able to be resilient. We were able to flush game one, move on to game two and come back in game two and play, you know, play well. And then dominate game three to get to the World Series on the road. Uh, something special. You know, we've won national championships. We've won SEC championships. We've had some big time wins in our program's history. And, you know, in the past, let's just say five, six years, best win in program history in those, in that span. I mean, in, in 2017, to, you know, some of the World Series wins are probably pretty dang special, but that was cool. And then to go in and win the first game at the College World Series as well, again, not easy to do. And, you know, we're, we're toe-to-toe with Oklahoma State, obviously, in that, you know, that the next game. But I thought for the most part, um, I was very, very happy. Uh, I was not sad at all when the season ended because I thought we got every ounce of every bit of all of our players. Do we have to get better? And should we have gotten a little bit better? Yes. But with that being said, I, I don't think anybody – pouted or doing it. I think they really did a good job of understanding the script that I wrote was the script that we delivered at the end of the season. That was, that was the most proud I could be of our team, the way they just did what they said they were going to do. And they signed up to do here at Florida. We've talked a lot over the years about the growth of the sport nationally, and we've seen that reflected at the World Series, not just with you know more people watching on TV. And you know, there there were a few changes here and there. They knew at one point they made uh, they did they redid the locker rooms and the dugouts, and there's little cosmetic changes. But then you get back to Oklahoma State this time, and they've almost doubled the size of the stadium. It's grown just in a, a major, major way. What was it like playing that first game, being inside the stadium after that transformative process it went through to become a venue like no other in the world for softball? Yeah, you know, I, I think that when you can go back and, you know, I can remember my first time being in ASA Hall of Fame Stadium in 1995 um, as a student athlete at Oklahoma. And I think I watched the Oklahoma 100 inning game with a pitching machine back in the day when the fundraising activities are going and I'm watching the, you know, the, the, the women's softball team practice then. And then to go as an assistant coach in, in uh, 1999, we played the big uh, at the time, the big 12 tournament there to see what they've done with the extra fields and all the other stuff and the growth, but you've, you've hit it on the head. Um, one of the fastest uh, growing sports, uh, you know, and obviously in the, in this country, and uh, from a fan base and a fan perspective and the players and sponsorships and everything is just improving. You know, even the fact that we have, you know, all of our home games and all of our road games on radio or television or a stream and then to get to the World Series and see what they've put into it. We've got a long way to go in that facility still, to be honest with you, to get to the 
to the level that I think everybody wants it to be from warm up facilities to fan to fan engagement to um but I think that the sport the NCAA um the city of Oklahoma City and ASA Hall of Fame I think they're working really hard to put as many dollars that they're making back into the facility and giving the student athletes a, a an A plus experience and you know and how do we create what Omaha has in the college mm-hmm. world series for baseball because that's it's not just for the athletes and the coaches and the fans, um, but it's for the game. It's for the broadcasters. It's for MLB baseball. I mean, it's a that whole thing is not just an, uh, a game. It's an event. And I think that's what we're growing in Oklahoma City. And you know, softball is blowing up all over the country. And um, you know, really proud to just really be part of it. But when you asked about walking into that stadium for the first time and looking up and seeing the double-decker, um, I thought it was really cool to look in our players' eyes that have all dreamed of this moment their whole entire softball career. For some of them, for actually most of our players, it was the first time they'd been to the College World Series in their career, and um, that was special that they delivered uh, on the road. We packed our bags for the road um, when we took off from Gainesville, and we just went straight from Blacksburg to, to Oklahoma City, and to be able to experience that with our athletes was was really fun. I want to talk about this year's team and and specifically the three players that were named to the watch list for USA Softball's National Player of the Year. That's Skylar Wallace, Charla Eccles, Kendra Falby. Um, They all had tremendous seasons last year. That's why they're on this list. How do you help each of them follow up with another successful campaign and really lead the program offensively? You know, I think that's when you when you start to look at what makes a successful player a successful player. You you develop a plan, and the plan is you know first and foremost you try to establish some type of a goal system, something to work towards, something to work for, and um, you know I think that uh, I think Charlotte Eccles was a little disappointed in her season last year. Um, I think Skylar Wallace was disappointed in her performance in Oklahoma City, and uh, I think that you know also not super excited, not being a first team All American. And I think Kendra Falby not being an All-American last year, I think that didn't hurt their feelings. I think it just gave them a little bit more grit. And um, I, I think all three of them have had a really good fall. Um, they're in my assessment, you know, pretty pretty critical. I think all three are better than they were last year already. Um, Kendra and Skyler are still fast. Charlotte's showing a little bit more power uh, again. Um, last year, her power numbers were were not the same as as the year before. And um, I, I've given them uh, I give them a lot of credit because they have um, been able to work on their strengths, work on their weakness. I'm sorry, work on their weaknesses, but also maintain their strengths. And I think their strengths are getting better. Um, Kendra's super dynamic. Um, she can do so many things. Uh, and Skylar Wallace is obviously the, the season that Skylar had last year was just something that you you know, there's a lot of gamers out there. They'd love to have that person on their video game to have. <laughs> you know, hundred plus power. You know, have the max. You know, all everything she does is max. And so, um, I was really, really, I'm really proud of our of, of those three for the seasons they had last year. But I think that more importantly, I'm, I'm proud that that they're neither one. All three of them weren't satisfied at all with their performance, and they want more. And they want to get better, and they want to be challenged, and we be pushed. And you, I can coach the heck out of them. That's the cool thing is I can coach all three of them. They want to be coached. They want to be pushed. They bring. They're, they're very consistent in what they bring every day, and I think that's what I. I like about them and I'm sure they like that about me is that I'm very consistent. I bring, I bring it and challenge them. You want to be an all American? Well, here's the standard. You want to be, you know, want to be a national champion? Well, here's the standard. You want to get to college world series? Here's the standard. And 
you know, starts in the weight room. It starts on that practice field. And I think they've all embraced being challenged by uh, by this program standards. Pitching wise, how do you expect the load to be shared this year? What is that going to look like? And and what does it mean to have Elizabeth Hightower back for, I don't know, her ninth or 10th year at sea? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That, you know, I, I think right now that even last year, I, I think I said it to our pitchers and we talked about the conversation of, I didn't think we'd have a number one pitcher last year. I felt like we'd share the duties in a lot of cases. Um, you saw that in postseason with Lexi Delbury. Um, Lexi came and you know started. Uh, I want to say the last four games of our season, the two against Virginia Tech, and then the two on the, uh, the actually the I think it was the last five games that the three in Oklahoma City. So um, Riley's been gotten better. We've added Sam Bender and Olivia Giganti to the mix. Um, unfortunately for us, and I and I can be pretty pretty frank. Uh, Lexi Delbury hasn't thrown an inning for the Gators since the College World Series. So there's a little bit of concern there. But um, I'm happy to say that the last few weeks, you know, since January, maybe the 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th, starting to see a little bit more smile. I'm starting to see her throw the ball across the diamond. I'm starting to see her circle up and play long catch. Her bullpen numbers have all increased. Um, I would bet before we start the season, she'll throw some inner squads and get closer to and be, I don't think she's going to be, Perfect, but I think she's going to be ready to pitch this season, um, which is uh, which is going to be needed. I think the Elizabeth's been good. Um, love having her leadership. Uh, Riley's been good. Sam Bender, Olivia Giganti got a ton of innings in the fall. Um, but you know the, the the key for our success last year obviously was Natalie Lugo's ability to come in with a great changeup and really neutralize some deep offense. And then you know with what um, Lexi did, especially in that postseason run, she didn't give us perfect innings, but she certainly came in and gave us good ones. And then, you know, the compliment, well, Natalie's graduated and Lexi hasn't pitched a ton. We got to get better in the circle. And um, I think our offense has really improved uh, by really improving. You know, last year, I think we were the 18th ranked offense with a 318 batting average or something. Uh, power numbers were fairly low. Stolen bases were really high in a program record. But um, I, I, I love Elizabeth. I, 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 re- I really root hard for Elizabeth because you know, with uh, she works really hard. She wants it. Um, she's she's a competitor. You know, but I think that for the most part, I think that being the all American that she was, you know, two two seasons ago, a lot of that had to do with uh, she had she had three speeds going: a hard speed, a slow speed, a change, and a rise. Uh, she just hasn't been as consistent. It's hard to have the consistency. You saw it with Kelly struggle with the consistency of a rise ball pitcher and just having the different speed variables, but. Um, but they're working really hard, and Mike Bosch does a really good job of of understanding what they do and what they don't do, and vice versa. He understands the opponent really well, and I think that um, I think we're going to have uh, a very competitive pitching staff. That heck, I might throw every pitcher in every game, and I, I already prepped them that way. They know it. Like we've been working really hard on coming out of the bullpen, and you know, wild things running in. Here we go. Let's come <laughs> in for outs, and um, I think the beauty is. In 2023, we're using the technology in our pieces a lot more than we ever have. And we're trying to figure out how to get 21 outs. And, um, you know, the days of Stacey Nelson and, you know, even Kelly Barnhill and Stacey Stevens and Stephanie Brombacher, Alicia Ocasio, I mean, just having a dot. Well, even then, they didn't have a number. Having one pitcher is really hard on, on uh, you know, on a, on a pitcher and it's, it, the offense has just really improved. I don't think we can do it the same way as we, we thought we used to. How challenging is that shift in thinking, Ben? Because I, I don't know if it was you that used to say it. So is it that if you have three pitchers, you have no pitchers. It was some, some phrase like that, the way the sport used to be. 
where does that push come from in the analytics? Has that been, have you seen that around? Have you tried to pioneer that? Like, how has that entered your thinking and, and your planning? Well, how many programs have gone to the College World Series and won a national championship and gone back to back with a totally different ace? And that answer is not very many. You know, mm-hmm. very rarely does it happen where someone can go back to back with a different ace. And what we were able to do in 14, um, what we were able well, heck, even what we were able to do in, you know, in eight and nine with the Brombacher Nelson duo, you know, I, I feel like I don't want to call it a pioneer, but, you know, in, in, a long time ago, I recognized that, you know, it's, it's, it's difficult to do it with one pitcher, mm-hmm. especially with the video components and the number of games on television and all the other stuff. In the old days, you'd get two games on TV and, you know, and you watch this girl come out, you go, man, this girl is amazing. But if you had 50 games on TV, would one pitcher be the same? I don't know. You know, so I think the coaches are coaches are better. You talked about growth in our game. We've got a fantastic group of coaches, um, some some younger coaches, some veteran coaches. The broadcasts are better. Everything is just improving. So um, you're right about that. I'd, I'd love to have Stacey Nelson right now with this defense and this offense. Um, but I've been I've been been happy with the challenge that you know that that I have and and our recruiting class was so good next year I'm so good you just don't want to impact that by by every decision I made transfer wise and all the other stuff it I just didn't want to impact that in a negative way we worked really hard on that recruiting class for such a long time um felt like the relationships were great felt like we, we we have what we need to to make another big time run uh, to the college world series for national championships and stuff. And so this is, this is one of those years again, with the pitching, I think that with Lexi Delbury being healthy, we got a, we got a shot to make a, make another great run. This offense is pretty fun. I think we're going to be fun to watch. I, I we're, we're as good as anybody, but um, we just don't have that first team all American pitcher right now. That's for sure. In terms of newcomers and where they factor, and you mentioned a few of them, um, what should fans expect to see this year in terms of new players, players they've they've heard about signing with the Gators, now they're on the field, what capacity are they going to play for you? We went from having the youngest, I think we were tied for the youngest starting lineup at the College World Series last year, hmm. um, the youngest. Uh, this year's team will probably not be the youngest. So you're going to look at us being... You know, going to have Bailey Goddard's back healthy again this year. So really looking forward to high on base percentage kid. Going to hit some power, uh, play right field. Um, Kendra Falby will play left and center, depending on who's pitching. Katie Kissler. So there's three returning starters, although Bailey didn't get a chance to play last year. Then you go Skylar Wallace and Charlotte Eccles, um, Avery Gells. Um, I think that the, the, the two biggest, quote unquote, surprises or treats so far for me, it had been Sarah Longley. She's played third base. She's played right field. She's played some some short. I mean, she's played shortstop. She played some right field. We've moved her to catcher. And um, Sarah Longley had the best fall of anybody. Um, she offensively home runs, doubles, RBIs, batting average against everybody. And then behind the plate, you're looking at a kid who's going to keep the. You know, she's she's got a good arm. She's a good athlete, and she's not caught. She hadn't caught since she was in, in middle school. Wow. And, um, and she's good. She's been good, been very happy with what she's done. And it's really helped her offense, her confidence, her leadership skills. That'll probably be the biggest, quote unquote, surprises or new newcomers. Um, Reagan Walsh is still back again. And then we got the battle of the really the uh, Pal Egan, Kayla Pollard and Olivia Giganti. Those are the three, um, you know, the three newest players that we have. But 
I think this is going to be a veteran club, to be honest with you. I don't think it's going to be a um, a lot of new flavor. It's going to, We've got a lot of returning players um, that we expect to do a lot of things. Next year, it's going to be a totally different thing. I'll tell you about all the new players we have. Um, <laughs> this, year, this year, it's going to be about the veterans. It's going to be about the returning players. And um, we need our we need our really, really good players. We need Charlie Eccles and Kendra Falby um, and, uh, you know, Skylar Wallace to be really good. But Avery Gell's really turned it on at the end of last season. And she's carried that in through the fall as well. And um, I think that's the one thing I watch is the trajectory. Our, we're an upward trajectory program. We got better and better and better. And, um, you know, I think that's a, a good sign of player development, but it's also a, a good sign of character development within our program. Our players have really just bought in and understand how that there's going to be an up and down of, you know, successes. And we, we need Olivia Giganti. We need Kayla Pollard. Reagan Walsh, a sophomore now, played shortstop, I think, the first 15 games of the season. Um, we moved her to second base now, a little bit more second and first. So we're just uh, we're trying to score as many runs as we can. I think we're going to hit more home runs and, and more doubles. I always like to ask coaches this, especially when we tend to talk once a year at the start of the year of what uh, what changed for you since you, you last coached a game. Anything are there any anybody you've seen speak, any books you've read, any new philosophies that have impacted you and and the, the way that you coach or approach your team? <laughs> you know, the. Out of all the things that, you know, that college athletics is going through with uh, name, image, and likeness and the transfer Mm -hmm. portal and all the other things, I can tell you that some of the cool things for me is I've met a lot of new people and and a lot of them are are Gator boosters. A lot of them are, uh, I've just seemed to be, have been exposed to a lot more people from, from the time that we ended our season to the time we started our season. Um, I've met some really cool business people, people that run successful businesses. And um, I've tried to learn a ton. I ask a lot of questions of people, very successful people. I want to know what, why, what, how they're wired. Um, so I, I really haven't read a ton of books. I really haven't um, listened to a lot of things. Um, but I can tell you that I've been around a lot of really, really cool and interesting people and have learned a lot and listened a lot. And um, I think that's really helped me. Um, I can tell you this, this is, this is something I've come to grips with that I'm, I'm not a Gator. Like I'm a coach. I wasn't, I didn't graduate from the university of Florida. So I consider myself an honorary, um, keeper of Gator nation for the softball version, especially. And, um, I've become very proud of what we've been able to do to, to sustain success for this long and to continue that march to Oklahoma city and to continue the march to, to sec championships and continue to, to do some cool things. Um, I've just come to, I've really come to grips that, that, that I'm a, you know, I'm a Gator and, um, it's my job to make sure that we do everything we can, uh, to can continue the standard of what this program, uh, means for not only, um, you know, for our program and our players and our past players and our future players, but for the, for Gator nation, for, um, the alumni, the school, the university, it's really, it's, it's, it's hit me a little bit differently this time because this year, I mean, um, and I don't know why I, maybe I'm 50 now and I've got, <laughs> You know, I've, I've coached a million games and you yeah. know, all these things. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, I, I've really come to grips with um, I've been a Gator longer than I've been most other things in my life. I'm from California. I spent 20 years there, hmm. but I've been outside of California now longer than I've been in. And uh, having this job is really special to me. And I'm, I'm very prideful of what we do and how we do it and what we're representing. So I know that's a ramble, but long story short, there's been some really cool people that I've had a chance to meet that are, not only are they honorary Gators, but they're also Gator alum and Gator graduates. And um, what we mean to them and the words that they share with me goes, whoa, I mean, we're making an impact. And I think that's exactly what 
I was hired to do by Jeremy Foley is you know, make an impact on our student athletes, make an impact in this community. And I think we're doing a really good job of it. And I'm very proud of that. Obviously, I want to win. And I think that, you know, we're going to win plenty. But the other stuff has been so more so, so much more meaningful to me than 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 the championships and the numbers and you know all the other stuff. I think that's just I think that's age. Well, Coach Walton, thank you so much for your time. We know Gator Nation is excited to see you guys take the field, and we wish you a lot of luck this season. No, thank you, Adam. It's always great to to not only I get to see you, but to hear you, and uh, just appreciate you continuing our our legacy of uh, of championships and experiences. You bring out the best of me all the time, and I really appreciate what you do for us all the time. Go Gators! And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, please subscribe to Gator Tales wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review to help us continue to grow. Be sure to keep track of all of the orange and blue action by visiting FloridaGators.com, then come back here every Thursday during the athletic season for an all-new episode. Until then, I'm Adam Schick. Thank you so much for tuning in to Gator Tales. Gator Tales.